Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. All right, if you could open up your Bibles to Esther chapter 8, please. Esther chapter 8. Tonight's message is when God is silent. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life that you wonder if God, or you don't hear from God, you wonder if He's really there. Throughout the Bible, there's doctrines. We spent a long time in the book of Romans, which really is a basis of all our beliefs. But some of the Bibles, uh, some of the books in the Old Testament, especially, are full of doctrines that we can look at. For example, redemption we see in the book of Exodus. Uh, love, the doctrine of love we see in the book of Ruth. Doctrine of repentance we see in the book of Job. Doctrine of the resurrection we see in the book of Jonah. And the doctrine of God's providence we see in the book of Esther. Now one of the things with Esther, you never hear God's name mentioned. You never hear prayer mentioned. You never hear worship mentioned. The only thing we heard anywhere in the book of Esther so far was fasting. Queen Esther had all the Jews fast along with her Jewish uncle Mordecai. That was the only word that we heard that we can even associate with anything that we're used to in biblical terms or in Christian terms. One of the things you have to remember about Esther and Mordecai is that they were brought from Israel to uh, Babylon, and they were captives there. But when the captivity uh, ended and Cyrus gave the decree that the temple could be built again, a lot of Jews came back home. They didn't stay in the foreign land. However, Esther, Mordecai, did. We should ask ourselves, why would you from your hometown being brought in captivity to another land not want to go back home when you had that opportunity, especially when so many Jewish people did. A lot of people disobeyed God's command to return home, and they stayed. Well, one of the things we can think about in this silence of not, God not being used in the book of Esther is that these people drift from their relationship with God. Were they communing with him? What was their spiritual state? What was their spiritual walk like? We know their friends, relatives, were back in Jerusalem praying, worshiping God in the temple. Why wouldn't these people go back? And maybe to the people in this area, God was silent. But some great news 
is just because God may be silent doesn't mean he isn't working. And that's huge for all of us to understand. J. Vernon McGee, Texas preacher who has gone to be with the Lord, said, God moves the world into tomorrow. God moves the world into tomorrow. The hand of God is like his hand is a glove in human events. His hand is in the glove of human events. He's like a coach who calls signals from the dugout. God is like the unseen rudder guiding a boat. He makes great doors swing on little hinges. When God's not driving your car, your spiritual car, he's like the backseat driver. I like that one when Vernon McGee said that one. He said that he was, God's like a pilot at the wheel of a plane during a night watch. The providence of God versus being in the center of God's will. Think of Pharaoh's daughter when she went down to the Nile River to bathe and she heard a little baby or she heard a little cry of a baby and she kept going down to the water and she was in the brushes and she saw this little baby in a basket. And that little cry, that little face, just the miracle of God's creation. Well, the little baby in that basket in the Nile moved on Pharaoh's daughter's heart. She took him. And we know that person was Moses. And it changed all of history. That little cry of that little baby. You wonder if God in heaven above just pinched Moses in that in that little basket to make him wail so Pharaoh's daughter would hear him. You saw in this little cartoon that the king couldn't sleep one night. And if you've been here for Esther, he couldn't fall asleep. So he asked for the book of the Chronicles uh, to be brought. And in that record book was the act that Mordecai turned in two assassins. And while Mordecai was laying on his bed during the night watch, he was thinking, well, I need to reward this man who saved my life. And that goes into everything that we saw in the last couple chapters. Most people are guided by God's providence. God is going to accomplish his will, with or without us. Nothing the human race or the human condition does is going to change God's perfect will from being accomplished. But you and I want to be in his perfect will. We want to hear the leading of his Holy Spirit. We don't want to be part of that providence of God. We want to know his perfect will. And we do that by staying close to his heart. By staying close to him in fellowship with him. The one-on-one fellowship.
So let's dive into verse 1 of chapter 8. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Remember, Haman, do you remember what his name meant? Great or magnificent. This guy was second in command to the king. But now, everything he had worked for was gone. The king, taken from Haman, his ring that he had given him. Because the king had found out what Haman was planning to do. Was planning to kill anywhere between 50 and 80 million Jews throughout the 127 provinces of the land. Mass genocide. Not only that, when Esther revealed to the king, to her husband, what Haman's plan was, the king left in a rage and went out into the garden. And when he came back, that magnificent Haman stumbled over himself and had fallen on the queen. So to bring insult to injury, that really ticked the king off. So much so, they put a hood on him, he was led out, and he was hung on the very gallows that were meant for Mordecai. In verse 1, remember, God uses his word that was thousands of years ago written to make a spiritual application for you and me today. Yes, it's history, but it's as important to you or I as what is the significance of God's word. There are so-called Christian churches today that are doing away with the Old Testament. I don't know how they can call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. The New Testament wasn't even around when Jesus was here. He never said to his followers, turn to the book of John or turn to the book of Acts. It wasn't written yet. He went into the Old Testament writings. It is rich. You just have to dig in the Old Testament to find out so many of the things that are revealed in the New. In verse 1, we see a king. We see a bride. We see a counselor. Mordecai was Esther's uncle, adopted dad. He was also her counselor. And we also see an enemy. Guess what, everybody? We have a king who's our dad. God the Father. The Trinity of God, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are the bride of the king. We have a counselor, the Holy Spirit. And we have an enemy of our souls. Also, along with the devil himself, the enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil who uses the world and flesh to try to get us to fall, to steal from us, 
to destroy us and to literally, physically try to kill us. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Always remember that when you come into conflict with another person. That behind the scenes is where the spiritual war is going on. And that person or that situation is only being used to try to break you down. To try to get you off course in keeping your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. We don't want to be like Peter in the New Testament, walking on the water and seeing the storm, the wind, the waves, taking our eyes off Jesus and starting to sink. But when that does happen, because it will, we just say, help. And Jesus is right there to pick you back up and put you on top of the situation again. In verse 2, we see that Haman's power, his authority, thank you, his, uh, everything that he lived for, everything he boasted about was gone. You and I have to choose one side or the other. We have to choose Haman's side or we have to choose the king's side. The king, of course, being none other than Jesus Christ. Joshua says it nice in chapter 24. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day who you're going to serve. You're here today. It's pretty obvious who you're serving at this moment. That's great. What about the other 23 hours when you're not with a body of believers? That's the test, isn't it? That's what's going on in your heart when you're, when you're tempted. Then you see where your heart is. That's when you see how strong you are in your relationship with the Lord. Mordecai was rewarded. Remember, there's a long time he wasn't rewarded even though he spoiled the assassination attempt on the king. But now, finally, things are starting to happen. In Luke 16.10, it says, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. And boy, Mordecai is really getting in. He becomes second in command. He goes from just being in the gates of the city now to being the king's right-hand man. And right where he can see his lovely Esther every day. Where before he had to sort of come around to hope that he would see her. There is a reward coming for the people of God. There's also a judgment coming from those people who are in Haman's team. That day will come. As, we, as readily as we see the day come here in the book of Esther. Verse 3. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. Esther spoke again to the king. Everybody, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Never stop talking to your King Jesus. 24-7, just talk to him. When you're not yapping with somebody else, talk to him. He's right there waiting. He's right there with you. Just talk to him. Tonight when you wake up for that three minutes or three hours, just talk to him. Sing praises to him. Worship him. Remember on a night watch that the king couldn't sleep. It changed the fate of a nation. The repercussions of what happened under God's divine providence. We are witnesses of today as we read the newspapers, as we see the things that are going on on the Temple Mount, as we see our dear brothers and sisters, the Messianic Jews, who are here at this fellowship. It's awesome. It's okay, as we see in the verse 3, it's okay to cry and to beg from your God. It's okay. There's no request too small or too great that God will not listen to. Now notice here one of the things that is a passionate desire of Esther's heart is to counteract the evil scheme of Haman. And as we talk about Haman, or you hear me say Haman's name, let's also think of Satan, Lucifer himself, that Haman is a type of. Because just like Haman back then wanted to wipe out all the Jewish people, Satan still wants to do that today. He not only wants to wipe out all the Jewish people, he wants to wipe out all the believers in Jesus Christ. And we praise him that still in the United States of America, we can come here and talk from his word. We can sing praises. Where other places, they have to hide. We just had the VBS, right, with the underground church, the catacombs that they had to go into to hide from the Romans. But even among those Romans, because of people like Paul, people were being converted and Romans were coming to know Jesus Christ in the military and they were spreading it in their households. You can't beat God. You can't beat him. Remember, Satan, like Haman, was trying to steal, destroy, and kill. Not only Mordecai, who he couldn't stand, but all of Mordecai's race. We see in verse 3 this scheme. The devil has a scheme, and I had just mentioned that, to destroy the Jews and the Christians, but to destroy all mankind. Even the atheists he wants to destroy. He wants that atheist to be in hell with him. He doesn't want that atheist to come to know the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Is there an atheist in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family? Ah, for such a time as this, you know an atheist. You know a Muslim. You know an agnostic. You know a Hindu. You can pray. You can live out your faith. You can engage conversation. You can go out to lunch, dinner, breakfast with these people to make an impact 
to act like Jesus Christ, who ate with sinners and tax collectors. Be like Jesus. Be imitators of him. We as Christians wait for the rapture of the church. We wait for the return of Jesus Christ. There's two things going on here. There's a war for the soul of man, and there's a remnant of believers throughout the world that are trying to get those people that don't have a vision for Jesus Christ to see. What a privilege that is. We can do it, or we can let it happen out of God's divine providence, or we can be so plugged into the heart of God that we're accomplishing His will daily. And we can be the voice that maybe the world thinks God's not around because He's silent. You're His voice. I'm His voice. Verse 4 and 5. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all of the king's provinces. We talked about other times we're in the book of Esther, God's scepter, which was a sign of, uh, the, or I'm sorry, the king's scepter, which was a sign of his authority. God has given you and me his Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we have the authority to do things in His name, to pray for people's healing, to forgive people's sins in the name of Jesus. He's given us that authority. In Jesus, sins can be forgiven. We can intercede on the behalf of people in, under the authority of Jesus. Just like Esther, she stood and, uh, before the king. We can stand in the presence of God. We don't have to cower. We don't have to shake. We're his kids, we're his sons, we're his daughters. In Ephesians 3.12, it says, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Do we take advantage of our place in Christ? Do we take advantage of who we are in Jesus? We should. And if you don't, do it. What's holding you back? Just do it. It's, it's your privilege in Christ Jesus. In verse 5, you and I have found favor in God's sight if we accepted Jesus. We want His will to be done, not ours, just like Esther wanted the king's will. If it was pleasing to the king, we want to be pleasing to the king. Now, notice Esther wanted the king's edict revoked. Now, the king's edict was the one that Haman set up. And that was that on the last month of the Jewish calendar, the month of Adar, that all the Jews would be killed. So she wanted to have that edict revoked. 
It can't be. Because once the king set it in motion, it was law. It was the law. The law couldn't be revoked. The law could not be changed. Haman had the king's authority behind the king's command to annihilate the Jews. Satan knows God's authority is behind his commandments, that a soul that sins must die. You just take God's 600 laws and break them down to the, or bring them down into the Ten Commandments. I'm sure most of us know the Ten Commandments. The Bible says if we break one of those laws, we're guilty of breaking them all. So the soul that sinneth much, must die. If you've broken one command, your judgment is death. It can't be revoked. Just like the kings back then. His authority stood. Sin must be annihilated or it's going to annihilate you and me. Sin must be annihilated or it must or it will annihilate you and me. I remember when I first started going to Calvary Chapel over in Old Bridge. And I just had a hunger for those things of God. Hopefully that hunger is always there for all of us. But I remember saying to Pastor Lloyd, Lloyd, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? What, what are the things that you do? So he shared with me. And I, was, and, I, and I don't know how I phrased it, but I said, how do you deal with sin in your life? And he said to me, and this is going back over 20 years now, you must be vicious with your sin. You must be vicious with it. And I look at this, and it, when I was studying this, and that word annihilate came up, I was thinking of what Pastor Lloyd said, that you have to annihilate sin in your life, whatever it takes. Guys, girls, whatever it takes, what is that sin in your life? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it pornography? Is it uh, lying? Is it stealing? Where you need to take measures and get the roots cut out. You know, I had some skin cancer removed. For, for almost a year, I would just cover it up and put a Band-Aid on it or something. It was just covering it up. But the doctor yesterday had to go in and he had to get the roots or it would still go there. It would, it would just grow back. I want it annihilated. I want it destroyed. I want it dead. I don't want it to come back. So it is with sin in our lives. If you have an habitual sin, it's got to be destroyed or else it will destroy you. It will destroy you. It will kill you. You don't believe me, just look back on history. I don't care what it is. Shared this years ago when they used to have the VHS specials with the rock and rollers and the movie stars. They would always show like their biography. I don't think I can remember one that turned out good. They all died from something. Something happened to them tragically. Verse 6, for how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Here we see in the heart of Esther a reflection of 
her counselor, her, her stepdad, her uncle, Mordecai. How can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? We need to pray for ourselves and for each other that we have a sensitivity for the lost. That we have a sensitivity for the lost. Those people who right now, if God ended the world, would go into a Christless eternity. We have to have, pray that we have a heart like Jesus Christ. That every person we see is a brother and sister in Christ or a potential brother and sister in Christ. And to use the personality that God has given each one of you to touch that person that comes into your path. Because there's a great chance that the person who comes into your path won't come into mine or the person's next to you. For such a time as this is such a cool uh, phrase in the book of Esther. But all of us are here at this time in 2017, here August 2nd, for such a time as this. For such a time as what's going to come on your plate tonight or tomorrow. Do you know there's one thing that you can't do in heaven? Anybody know what that is? One thing you can't do in heaven? Can't sin, amen to that. But you can't tell others about Jesus. Can't evangelize in heaven. You can't share your faith in heaven. There's a short time, a short window that we have here on this earth to do that. Verses 7 and 8. Then the king said to the queen and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. These are two great verses, everybody. Two tremendous verses that really say a lot. You know who lost at the cross? The devil. The devil lost at the cross. Haman, who's a type of the devil, died where he wanted Mordecai to die. Haman died where he wanted Mordecai to die, on the gallows. The very gallows that Haman built for Mordecai is where Haman died. Satan was defeated where he wanted Jesus to die. He thought he won the victory when Jesus was nailed to that cross. Little did he know that was a stepping stone to the grave where Jesus resurrected three days later and Satan's feet. His destiny was sealed. Loser. Capital L. Satan lost at the cross. Both Haman's plan and Satan's plan backfired. 
Genesis 50, 20 says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. In God's providence, Mordecai and Esther never knew what we're seeing in chapter 8 was going to happen. Esther wasn't there for them to read. They were the characters in the book of Esther. Jesus dying on the cross, even though it was prophesied throughout the Old Testament, Many people didn't see that what he was doing was for the salvation of the world and anybody who would embrace him as Lord and Savior. And think about it. You and I are here as a result of what God has done. And we get to look back at all these great stories to see our story. How cool is that? That we are alive to look back to see God's love through, through the Old and the New Testament and apply it to our lives. Verse 8. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Now notice in verse 8. A new decree has been written that cancels, very important now, a new decree has been written that cancels the law of sin and death against the Jews. A new decree has been written. If you're under the law, there's a death sentence. If you're under the first decree back in Esther's day, you're going to be killed on the 13th of Adar. If you're under grace, this new decree, your life is going to be given back to you. That's the gospel. The good news. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. No son... No life. No son, no life. I know most of you here, you have life because you have the son. If you don't have the son, you have no life. If you're under the law, you're a lawbreaker. If you're under grace, you're a life taker. You're taking that life that Jesus has given you through his death and resurrection. Just like the law was written by the king and Esther, Esther's husband, the king, just like that decree was written and couldn't be revoked, the law, the Ten Commandments, cannot be revoked. It was written by the finger of God. And we see that in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. The key, though, or the question, the huge question is, what written decree applies to you? The decree of law or the decree of grace? Verses 9 and 10. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, 
on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. Take a look at the 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Now, if you go from India as a bird or as a crow flies, go directly from India straight across to Ethiopia is about 1,800 miles. But if you go through the land mass, it's much longer than that. 127 provinces, 50 to 80 million Jews, and then you had all the non-Jews. So there was a ton of people in this area. And what is going on here in verses 9 and 10? The decree signed and backed by the king is going throughout the land in every tongue, in every script, in every language. And notice how it's being delivered with urgency and speed. They want to get the word out. Why? Because all the Jews are going to be annihilated. And the decree has, there's a second decree that if you're under this decree and you have the backing of the king, you won't be killed. You won't be killed. Hebrews 3.15 says, As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Do you and I have this urgency today? Are we taking action now to bring God's word to our area? to our sphere of influence, just like these couriers did. Understand, it's a king's command for you and I to spread the gospel. Just like the king gave a command back here to go to those 127 provinces, to go to the millions of people with urgency and with a passion. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at verses 11 through 14. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children, women, to plunder their possessions. On one day in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. You know what? I'm looking at couriers right now. I'm a courier of the king. You're a courier of the king. 
You have a message to bring to the province that you're in, to the provinces that you ride through. You and I are couriers of Jesus Christ, carried not by swift royal horses, but carried by the Holy Spirit himself that's faster than a speeding bullet, can jump over tall buildings. God has made you and me supermen and women in him. Are we living to that superhero status in Christ? Psalm 32, 8 and 10 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. One more time. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. How close do you have to be to someone to see their eyes? How close do you have to be someone to look into their eyes? How close are we to Jesus Christ to feel his heartbeat, to know his will, to see him? Lastly, verse 15, so Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. In one of the previous chapters, before the king couldn't fall asleep, Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes, a sign of fasting, usually a sign of repentance. But remember what I said, we don't hear the word repentance in the book of Esther. However, fasting was there. Since then, what a turn of events because he was in God's providence. Since then, he's been put in a new position. He's been given new clothes. He's been given new robes. You and I have on the robes of righteousness in Christ Jesus purchased by his blood. We are royalty because our dad is the king. We are sons and daughters of the king. In Ephesians 4, to 24, it says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You and I, our minds are being renewed right now because we took out time tonight to come together as a body to have our mind washed and cleansed and renewed from the stain of the world. You're to be commended for that. That's God's hand on you. That's his Holy Spirit drawing you. Notice in verse 16, the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. Why? Because that first decree was being 
not changed, but there was a new decree that superseded this one. Instead of annihilation, there was going to be life, and it was backed by the king, and it was backed by Mordecai, the second in command. And guess what happened when the leaders were one mindset? The people started falling in order. So much so that those people who maybe were enemies of the Jews changed their colors and changed their allegiance because they said, we can't go against the king. The king is powerful. What's going to happen to us if we go against the king? We don't want to be annihilated. So we see things taking place where people were becoming believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of fear and a healthy respect of the Jewish people. What effect are you and I are having on people because of our love of Jesus Christ? And to close on this one, it says, wherever the king's command and decree came, question, does that mean there are places that they didn't get to in the 127 provinces? Are there some places that the riders didn't get to? Are there some places that maybe the riders said, hey, make sure that that village back 10 miles into the wood, hears what we're saying. Because what is the result if they didn't hear the word and they followed the first decree? What happens to those people in our world in our sphere of influence that don't hear God's word. And tonight they go into eternity. Or tomorrow they go into eternity. This guy I saw speak one time, he said every time you click your fingers, six people go into eternity. Six people have just gone in to either a Christless eternity or one at the face of Jesus. Every time you hear a click, six people go into eternity. Let us be one of those king's kids by the power of the Holy Spirit. Use the things that God has given us, our personalities, our words, our actions, our prayers, our kindness, the love of God to impact those people who right now don't know the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.